Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning. I'm here with my co-host, Zenith. And our guest today is a classmate, friend of mine, uh, pastor in Pittsburgh, Kansas, Pastor Aaron Schumann. Welcome, Pastor Schumann. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. So, Aaron, what can you tell us about faith and Pittsburgh, Kansas, both your church and the booming metropolis of Pittsburgh? Faith in Pittsburgh, Kansas, man. Pittsburgh is, well, what we're going to talk about in a little bit, man. Faith, faith in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Pittsburgh's my little slice of heaven. I absolutely love it in Pittsburgh. Um, you guys, for those who are out there listening, um, you guys have probably hear Pittsburgh, Kansas, and you think of me on on my assignment day and you hear Pittsburgh comes out and you go, I'm going to Pennsylvania, baby. And then you hear Kansas and you go, where in the world is Pittsburgh, Kansas? And so we had to, to Google it and take a little look and, and sure enough, right down in Southeast Kansas, we're located about five miles from Missouri, about 20 miles from Oklahoma and about 30 miles from, from Arkansas. And um, we have just grown to, to absolutely love love the area the the city runs off of a division two division two college um pittsburgh state university fun fact they are the only university in the united states that has the mascot of a gorilla if you are a sports fan um at my first year out here in 2011, the football team won the Division II National Championship, and a gentleman from that team named John Brown went on to play in the NFL and was successful for quite a few years. Um, played for the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, with Kurt Warner, and uh, even with the Bills for a while. And so, uh, so he comes back to town every once in a while, and we take the kids to go and go see him and meet him. It's a good time, but um, but yeah, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's great. It's about the size of I'd say like Watertown, Wisconsin, and um, a lot of similar similarities to a lot of Wisconsin Wisconsin towns. So speaking speaking of Watertown, uh, that's actually where our history goes back with Pastor Schumann and I. Uh, we met at uh, Luther Prep in Watertown. And then you were a tutor there, uh, so you've actually had experience doing what what I currently am doing, which is teaching high schoolers. Uh, what are some of your memories from that? Oh, you want to go back to the high school memories or, or, or no, the tutor, no, well, tutoring memories? Tutoring, tutoring. <laughs> tutoring yeah, memories. Actually, we should probably, for our listeners, let them know tutor doesn't mean uh, that you have specific help that you give in schoolwork it's like a dorm supervisor basically right yeah so so as a tutor there i live in the dorm with with all of the kids and you know you got kids from 15 to 18 19 years old freshmen to to seniors who are who are running around and they don't have parents in the dorm and and they're on all different levels some you know first time away from home others have spent close to now four years away from home and and um, seniors, they don't need a tutor all that much. They don't need need a, a guy to, to, to watch over that much. And so you don't have a lot of interaction with the seniors. They're off doing their own thing. But, but freshmen and sophomores, people who are a little bit, bit, bit newer there, you know, they, they rely on, on somebody who's more of a, 
a parental figure still because um, they, they miss home. And uh, that's what you're there for. And, and as a pastor straight out of the seminary, you're there to to fill kind of that that role every once in a while and to encourage them and with, with God's word and to, to remind them that ah, it's going to be OK. You know, you you got to have a, you got a lot of classmates here. You got a lot of future friends and and friends that you're going to have for for a lifetime because you 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 live with them, you grow up with them and they, they aren't just your friends, but they become your brothers. And that's a, a really cool thing. Were you there as a tutor one or two years? Two years, two years there. And I did, uh, I taught, taught religion for a couple of years. I uh, taught PE for a year while I was there too. And so you, you do a bunch of different things. I, I helped coach, coach baseball and, and absolutely love that because I'm a sports guy. And so I, I love tutoring. So te- taught um, Old Testament freshman religion and taught Acts and Epistles for for juniors when, when I was there. As a sports buff, could you define a catch in the NFL for me? Huh? Yes. It just can't hit the ground and it can't move. It's very simple, Jerry. I don't, I don't understand how you cannot understand what a catch is. It's very, very simple. Um, these guys, Mike Pereira, you know, they should just call me when, when it comes time to, to get advice on what's a catch and what isn't. That's awesome. Uh, so what, one of the things I've been focusing on with my young people is trying to encourage them to go on to MLC to become pastors and teachers and then take great pride when they do that. So did you feel that kind of pride, even though you're only there with those kids for like a year or two to see them going on to MLC? Oh, it's awesome. Um, you know, here we go. Um, so Pittsburgh, Kansas, going back to where Pittsburgh is, um, Pittsburgh, Kansas is right next to Joplin, Missouri. And Joplin, Missouri is about 20 minutes away, and it's a town of 50,000 people. But during the during the day, it balloons to about 200, 250,000 people. And uh, uh, a few years back, I'd say, man, probably five, six years back now, we had, we had a bunch of members who were commuting to to Pittsburgh to come to church from Joplin and and we got to thinking why don't we try to start a church in Joplin and uh and so we we started hosting bible classes over there at one of their houses and they started inviting their friends and and all of a sudden these bible classes began to grow and to grow and and all of a sudden one of the people that that was coming to the bible class who wasn't a member said hey I I work for this realtor company and they said we can use their office building for our Bible classes. And they just kept getting bigger and bigger. And, and finally we had the mission board come in and say, Hey, we would, we'd like to start a church here. And um, they, they did came in, did all their demographic work, this, that, and the other. And they said, yep, good spot to start a church. And, and let's try to get a guy. So this is where your question comes in. When I tutored, I tutored and, uh, um, encouraged young men to become pastors and one of the men that was um there when i was when i was tutoring went on to mlc and then he went on to to the seminary and and lo and behold the year that we start calling for a a pastor in joplin the assignment committee who who do they assign but they assign 
one of the young men that I, I lived in the dorm with was, was tutor over. And now right next door, one of my best friends in my ministry is a, is a, a kid that I remember, you know, hollering at in the hallways, you know, at Luther prep, telling him to get to bed at time or to do this or that, or, or to, or watched him, watched him play football. And he is, he is now my missionary over in Joplin and we're working hand in hand, side by side, telling people about Jesus. And, and I mean, there's, there's nothing better than it. And so a sense of pride, you say, yeah, um, it's really, really cool, you know, and I can't take any credit for it, you know, um, but it's, a it's awesome, you know, to sit there and to, to look at some of those, those men who are, are in the ministry now and go, huh, I was there when they did that. I'm, I'm really, really, really happy they made it through in our pastors. Um, it's a neat thing. Sure. Well, I just wrote a story for our district for the mission blogs for December. And it was a story I told in a sermon a few weeks ago with the 110 that of the mission starts that we want to have starting in 2023. And it was of a phone call. I received a, a voicemail on the Church of Faith in Radcliffe, Kentucky, maybe about 22 years ago from Jared and Katie Sunstall, whom we had on as one of our earlier guests. And they were asking if I could baptize their daughter. Well, Jared and Katie ended up taking the classes and joining the church. And that this May was the first time I've ever gone to graduation at MLC for Madison, 22 years after I baptized her in Radcliffe. So, yeah, so I understand those kind of things. And a couple of weeks ago, I bought donuts for my eighth graders that I took with me to go canvassing and do shut-in visits, uh, seven of them. And then I told them, if you graduate, because these are seven kids that want to go to MLC to become pastors and teachers. And I said, I'll buy you donuts when you graduate. Let's hope that all seven of you graduate as pastors and teachers. and then." to recreate this uh eight years ago be or eight years from now would be pretty cool yeah yep it's awesome it it really is um it's a neat thing to see those those people go on so uh another experience that uh, pastor schumann and i had together was um doing a mission trip to grenada there was a it's called project timothy i think they're still doing it aren't they yeah, they're still doing it at prep. Yep. And uh, we we were in Grenada. Uh, this was back in what, 99 or something, 1999. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, we had a vacation Bible school that was set up. And, and then we were high school students that were helping the local missionary and the local congregation get their uh, vacation Bible school done. And then uh, we had this job of um, always at the end of vacation Bible school each day, walking the children home. And uh, I got to catch up recently with uh, Ryan Hulse, who was on that trip with us. And he reminded me that there was a young lady that uh, came every day to the vacation Bible school, but then she would always want one of the guy uh, instructors of vacation Bible school to walk her home. But what I didn't know is that she made a marriage proposal to each of them, including you. And she never proposed marriage to me. So I was kind of <laughs> offended that I didn't get, I didn't get asked 
I, I, I would have said no, but uh, you know, you would have liked to have been asked. You were, you were, you were one of them, weren't you? Yeah, man, that, that Jerry, that is so long ago. It seems like, as you're telling the story, it brought a smile to my face because I had completely forgotten about all of that. But yeah, it was the most uncomfortable situation, one of them that I have ever been in because because it wasn't just like you know here I am a uh, going to be a, a junior or a sophomore in high school uh and and you know here's this you know little 10 or whatever how old how old young young lady she was you know pretending you know that she she wanted to marry you but she brought mom and dad out from the room and and is proposing and saying and and here you are going ah oh, this is extremely awkward i don't want to insult mom and dad in front of in front of their i don't know this culture at all and so it was everything i could to to get out of there as quick as possible and i remember going getting back and, and going halse you walk her home tomorrow i said i'm i'm not walking that 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 young lady home again well, Aaron, I'm just that was curious. kind of a pivotal thing for me because you I don't know about you, but like that was the time that trip really was a big turning point where I thought, you know, am I just sort of cruising through prep to become a pastor and uh, I'm just not really thinking about it? And should I look for a different career? But that trip was probably a big deal and a reason for me being a pastor today. Really? Yeah, that's awesome. See, I, I, I'm the complete opposite. I went through Luther Prep aimlessly. I went through MLC aimlessly sitting there. I was just wanting to play sports and hang out with my friends. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I remember even talking to my parents going, I want to do it after high school going, I want to do anything but go to MLC. And mom was like, well, what do you like to do? I said, well, I like to do construction. And she goes, that has to do with math. And I'm like, I'm out. And then she was like, what else do you want to do? And I, I had some other things. She goes, there's a lot of math involved in that. And I was like, I'm out because I'm awful at math. And so I was like, I'll just go to MLC, get my generals done. And you get through MLC and it's like, well, what's next? And it's seminary. And it wasn't until, wasn't until after my, it wasn't until my vicar year where I sat there and I was like, I want to be a pastor. And I remember I almost didn't even take a vicar call because I was I was frustrated and not, I didn't think this was this was for me. Um, and I remember some of the best advice I ever got was was from my dad. He said, he said, go on your vicar call. And he goes, he goes, and if you don't want to do it after your vicar year, he goes, then go find something else to do. That was the best advice I ever got. And um, I absolutely loved it. Um, and and so for you to say, you know, by the time you were, what, a junior on a Project Timothy trip, I think that's pretty awesome because um, I didn't have it figured out near as quickly. So, Aaron, was your dad a pastor or was he a layman? Yep. So my dad's a pastor. Um, okay. I come from a family of family of pastors. Uh, I, I don't want to go back. I want to go back to the whole marriage proposal thing. So... <laughs> Uh, two questions for you, Aaron, is I'm just wondering how many marriage proposals you've had that you could just dismiss this one and not remember it. And then also if your wife knows that you were proposed to before. <laughs> I, have, I have only had one marriage proposal to me. 
Um, it was, it was one, like, a, like I said, that I, I'd much rather forget about. And no, my wife does not know about this one. I, I bury this one deep because she would be extremely jealous. Well, we'll make sure that jealous. Jeremy sends this podcast to her tomorrow. <laughs> so, the, so that that's the way she finds out that you had a marriage proposal. That's right. Anything else you want to bring up, Jeremy, with with Aaron, or you want to get into the text? Uh, yeah, we could we could get started on that. Uh, the first reading for this uh, this coming Sunday is from Luke twenty one, or the Gospel actually. It's the not probably won't be the first reading. Luke twenty one, beginning with verse five. As some were talking about the temple, how it was decorated with beautiful stones and offerings, Jesus said, these things that you see here, the days will come when there will not be one stone left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will these things happen? And what is the sign that these things are about to happen? He said, watch out so that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. Whenever you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be terrified, for these things must happen first, but the end will not be right then. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and plagues in various places. There will be horrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, handing you over to synagogues and prisons bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will turn out to be your opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand how to defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all people for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By patient endurance, you will gain your lives. Uh, Jeremy, I want to start with you because I know you know your, your history and so forth. Uh, can you explain to our listeners where, you know, about when the temple was built and then rebuilt? So, uh, Pastor Schumann, were you, you were on the Holy Land trip with me, weren't you? With uh, yep. Tom Cuck, or not Tom, but uh, his dad gene gene yep and uh yeah and and so we kind of got to see and got a little rundown of that history um and uh it was uh Isaac, no. Yeah. Yep. Isaac. Isaac. Yep. Isaac. He would. What the way he put it was like uh, Herod the Great came along, and the temple was little and dumpy. And Herod said, "I don't like little and dumpy. I like big and uh, fantastic and grand." And so that is what uh, Herod the Great did. He just he, he updated the temple, which was basically building a whole new temple virtually. And uh, had these huge stones, these monoliths, um, and it it actually never the 
reconstruction project never really got totally finished, even up to the time that uh, that that Jerusalem was wiped out in uh, 64 AD. Um, no, 70 AD, excuse me, 70 AD. Um, but uh, I don't know, does that give you enough of a historical background? Yeah, and then I wanted to build on that uh, to ask Aaron, then Jesus does say, the days will come when there will not be one stone left on another. You know, Jeremy said that, you know, this would happen in 70 AD, but can you explain why that happened? And then what, oh. and then what happened to the temple? Oh, it, it was, it was, you know, one of those where, where you got more than, more than one, one prophecy there, you know, it's, it's going to full, be fulfilled here on this, this earth, you know, and, and you think about it, you have, you have all of those those foreign governments that come in, the, the beautiful temple of David and, and the destruction that took place, you know, or beautiful temple of, of Solomon and the destruction that took took place there. And then and then, like Jared said, they 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 slowly, slowly rebuild it. And after it's been destroyed over and over and it's just a it's just a shadow of of what it at once was and, and how they still even during Jesus's time, they took pride in this temple that was was even nothing compared to uh, to what it was during Solomon's time and and Jesus Jesus here is even pointing pointing further down the road going there's going to come a day when when it's completely wiped out when there's there's not not one stone left left on top of another and that's that's come come the end and what i was studying on this text was of not one stone will be overturned or left unturned is that the roman soldiers they set the temple on fire there's gold inside and the walls and so forth and that melted and then when it cooled down then the soldiers came with their crowbars and they flipped over every single stone to get all of the gold that had hardened again after being melted so that it fulfills that prophecy not a single stone is overturned or left unturned Jeremy, the disciples ask when and what signs will accompany this destruction. What warning does Jesus give before he answers their question regarding the signs of the world? Uh, to, to be careful and, and watch out. I don't even know if they realize that they asked two separate questions there. Um, they, they assumed that the temple is going to be around until the end of the world. And so uh, they, didn't, they didn't really realize Jesus' prophecy about the stones getting overturned was going to be fulfilled before the end of the world. Um, and uh, I think the uh, just just the word of warning to, to watch out so that no one so that you are not deceived. Yeah, because he says, uh, watch out so that you are not deceived for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is near don't follow them. So I'll ask both of you guys, where do you see false prophets? false pastors and teachers today? Can you give some examples? Anyone want to go first? Smile on his face. Oh, I just, it's such an interesting, interesting question. You know, um, I guess I, I go back to, to, you know, things from my childhood, you know, the cults out there, you know, David Koresh, you know, drink the Kool-Aid. I am, I am the, I am the savior. I am the one that you are to follow. You, you look at, you look at more in your, 
in your face examples like that where where someone just blatantly comes out and says i am the one i am i am the one to follow um and you look at that and you go you go how can people follow that um somebody somebody who has has just arrived on the scene and who who says without any backing or anything like that 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 i am the one um and, and it's just mind-blowing the power of the power of satan and what what satan can convince people to do um and and to follow and how he can lead you so quickly astray and and those are just the blatantly obvious ones and and then he does does it in such subtle ways subtle ways too yeah i was just thinking of those with um how jesus says like fall he talks about false christs or false false messiahs and that doesn't necessarily have to be like somebody standing up and saying i am jesus it could even be somebody presenting the historic jesus but in a different flavor like you know this is uh republican jesus or this is um you know uh, uh hippie um liberal uh woke jesus and and they they would point out things that jesus has said and and say well jesus would have been really you know he would have been a progressive or jesus would have been in favor of this or uh version of of uh, my ideals and uh in the end those are all just invented christs that are it's not it's not like a, a person that's standing up it's what people are doing to basically twist and and pervert the historic christ right yeah with that uh what you're saying jeremy of people saying well my jesus would approve of gay marriage or my jesus would do this or that and then i would ask them well is that the same jesus that's in the bible because otherwise your jesus is only your jesus and he's not the real jesus he's a false christ uh some other examples that i was thinking of i read a Babylon, Babylon be a satire article and they showed a picture of a well-known TV evangelist that was in front of Trump last week promoting different uh, Republicans and so forth. But the headline said Satan uh, is in is talking in front of Trump or something along those lines. And the Babylon B writers understood that this guy, this TV evangelist, he is not on God's side, even though he has all of these so-called followers or another popular TV evangelist is Benny Hinn. And I watched a video and read an article about him being served papers during a worship service because of his false teachings that have led to uh, very difficult things. Uh, and I remember exactly this time last year, uh, one of our prospects calling me up and she uh, she was asking about her church. She was from the Catholic Church, had grown up 50 plus years in the Catholic Church and was wondering about Lutheranism. And then she went off and she was explaining about the Antichrist and Revelation because I was teaching a Bible study at that time. She said, oh, yeah, the Pope is the Antichrist. And I, oh, my goodness. And I, after she went off on the Pope and his false teachings, I said, you're not really very Catholic. You're pretty Lutheran, you know, understanding all of these false christ the antichrist and so forth 
So, Aaron, what signs does Jesus give his disciples that the end is coming? Oh, just just the persecution, you, the the wars. You you can get even. You know, we're in the book of Luke, but but you know the 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 wars, the famines, the the earthquakes, um, nation rising up against against nation, um, and and then the persecution. Um, you know, you have all of these these earthly signs, and I think think every single one of us can take a look at you know, the events in our own lifetime, whether you're 40 years old, like myself, or, or, or 80, or, or, you know, still in high school, and you look around, and you go, you'd have to, you'd have to be dense to not see that all of these signs are, are here, you know, you look at the fears that people have, you know, with, with Russia and Ukraine, and what does this mean for the United States? And, and, you know, is, is there going to be nuclear, nuclear warfare that takes place and, and the fears people have, but the, the subtle ones for, for, I think for you and me are, are the persecution just that believers face, even in a, in a religious so-called, um, in the religious freedom that, that we have, um, you know, Oftentimes, I would say our, our freedoms when it comes to religion aren't very free for we are are very much persecuted for our our Bible beliefs that that we have. And um, we get mocked for them um, publicly and we get we get called called um, closed minded. And it's it's something that that we face um, over and over again. So with that, Jeremy, is uh, Aaron touched on that persecution what comfort does jesus give for christians as they're facing this persecution being dragged before synagogues and councils kings and governors for his namesake what, what comfort is there for christians jesus says that not a hair of your head will perish uh patient endurance with patient endurance you'll gain your lives um one of the things I, I think just overall, it is encouraging that Jesus gives the warning about all this, that he's even he's even talking to us and he could just let all this stuff happen and surprise us. Um, but uh, he, he lovingly warns us about all of these things happening. Uh, one of the big ones that I think is worth discussing is when. Like in verse 14, Jesus says, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand how to defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And that you could find comfort in that, that, oh, how much does my Savior love me that he's going he's gonna to put words right into my mouth that I can speak at the right time. But at the same time, I always think that's kind of an interesting discussion to have of, well, aren't we supposed to do sermon preparation or, uh, you know, aren't we, don't we uh, need to do our research uh, before we speak out on something? Um, like what, what is the spirit in which do you think Jesus intended that? Well, yeah, with that, uh, before I forget, I wanted to mention, I remember my pastor's sermon when I was a teenager. Now it's uh, MLC president, Professor Gurgle, uh, who was my my uh, my pastor at the time, and I remember him talking about Jesus saying, "Not a hair of your head will be harmed," and Jesus knows uh, that every hair is numbered. And then he looked down, 
at this guy who was right below the raised pulpit at Davis star in Jackson, Wisconsin. And the guy was bald. And he said, and some of us make it easier on Jesus than others. And, but it was a serious German congregation, that guy and no one else laughed. Uh, 40 plus years later, I still remember that and think that was a hilarious line of, but that simple comfort that not a single hair will be lost. But what you're saying there, Jeremy, what you were talking about with, um, you know, don't even prepare how to defend yourselves. So do you guys, when you're going to do a counseling evangelism call, make a difficult elders call, do you guys run through what you're going to say in your head before you go, or do you just show up and let the Holy Spirit give you the right words? Oh, man. That's, I sit in my office and I read through the scripture that I'm going to share with that person over and over again. And, and I'll sit across from my, my desk and I will talk. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's a, it's an intimidating thing. You know, you, you sit there and, and Jesus, Jesus says, you know, you're going to be, like you said, in front of synagogues or in front of rulers and in front of Kings and authorities and here, here it's for, for me, oftentimes you sit in front of member, you know, it's not a king or a queen. It's, it's a member. And, and you're what, as a pastor, you're, you're nervous, you know, you, you have your, your fears, you're dealing with the word of God or, or you're confronting sin. And, and what you do is you go to your, your weapon and, and your weapon is the word of God and you want to present it faithfully and correctly and you want to stand firm on it and you you want to make sure your your words are understood in a in a proper way and so so for me um yeah i i prepare uh and i i speak it out loud and that's not not saying you know I'm, this isn't the holy spirit's work but i also think that the holy spirit says be prepared you know um to in in season and out of season it's season to do battle don't you know, you just, don't just go up there and wing it. Um, this is serious stuff. So maybe like the spirit in which Jesus is saying this of don't worry is like be flexible. Is it kind of like that, that you can you can prepare, but like don't freak out if things go off script. Is that kind of what he means here? Be Be prepared. Dad always said it. Be prepared, study your hardest, and what will be will be. You know, go go out there, you know, study the word of God, train, train, you know, um, be in it, and come that moment, the Holy Spirit will help you. He'll guide you in what you have to say. Um yeah. Yeah. What it's just what, it's it's when you filled yourself up with so many verses of scripture, um it's 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 like the, that's that's the Holy Spirit guiding you right there. Is it's I, I could say John three sixteen right now, but it kind of seems like this is more of a situation where I need to say, uh, you know, I don't know Exodus twenty or something. Yeah, so so give them the law Exodus twenty instead of the gospel John three sixteen. <laughs> uh, and and I'm like I'm like you, Aaron. Is I am always thinking, talking to myself, talking through conversations of how to say something, how to write something, and so forth. Uh, you know, I try to I try to be the wordsmith. And then, 
but like Jeremy said, I want to be prepared knowing that I think this is what Jesus is getting at, that this, the conversation may go in a different way than I was planning. Because I'm not very good at guessing what other people are going to say. I'm very good at thinking what I'm going to say, but not what they're going to say. Uh, and, you know, as a ministry, I think you guys, you know, as pastors, we're kind of very eclectic. I was thinking about my ministry the past few days of, uh, like yesterday, teaching catechism class and then going and visiting someone in hospice care, coming back mm -hmm. to church, writing a Bible study, uh, going to, oh, and then reading to our K-4 through second grade students, going home and then harvesting chickens, and then, which means butchering them. And then today, coming and teaching a Bible class, and then going and doing an evangelism call, and then taking the chickens and putting them in freezer camp, and then doing a podcast. There's a lot of different things, not all involving chickens, but you know, as a pastor, I, we're kind of prepared to be able to have a script and then be able to go off script, right? I think the Lord, the Lord, part of it too is he says, don't worry about it when it goes off script, when you share my word and share it faithfully, I'm going to, I'm going to cause it to have the results in a person's heart that I want it to have, you know, or, or that are beneficial. And so, so, you know, we oftentimes are kicking ourselves after we meet with somebody because probably like yourselves, you sit there and you go, oh, I screwed that up, or I could have done this better, or I should have said this, that, and the other, and and I just had this with a, a um, situation um, in my congregation the other day, and I did, I wanted to go talk to my elder about it because I was like, I could have done better. And and he goes, he goes, that person, he goes, he heard exactly what he needed to hear, and the good Lord used the way you said it to cause him to hear what he needed to hear, and that put my heart at peace as a as a pastor because sometimes you sit there and you go. I could have done so much better. And then your elder has to come to you and say, um, you're not God. <laughs> it's not on you. You know, um, God will use your words the way he sees fit. Um, and it's, that's, it's a neat thing. That's good advice. I think of it a lot of times the opposite way. Maybe it's midlife crisis going, uh, as you guys were talking earlier about your encouragement to get into the ministry for me, it's maybe encouragement to stay in the ministry. My blessing is that I don't know how to do anything else. So, it, you know, God, God's treat me. I can only be a pastor. But every once in a while, I wonder, you know, am I good at this? And then God blesses me to go uh, hang out with some high schoolers or go. I just came back from an evangelism call. And this evangelism call, uh, when I first met the wife, who's now a member, she said her husband wasn't interested, but she texted me yesterday and saying that her husband's got some health problems. I said, well, I'll come over and see him. She said, really? I said, yeah. So I just went and saw him, spent an hour and a half with the two of them. And then he goes, after the devotion and prayers, yeah, you know, maybe I should join my wife and come to church with you. And, uh, and then on Sunday, go visit one of our members who's in hospice care. And then Every once in a while, I go back and I tell my wife, and, and you know, she'll say I'm bragging, but it's more of, you know, I am actually good at this. And that's not, not to brag, it's just to say, 
maybe maybe God knows what he's doing and making me a pastor and keeping me a pastor and giving me the right words. Because a lot of times I show up and come home and go, all right, I prepared what I wanted to say. I said that. And then I said a whole lot of other stuff I didn't prepare. Well, that other stuff, that's totally, definitely coming from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's awesome because you, you know, we, we so often deal on, you know, such an individual level and we think, you know, like the things that Jesus says and in these verses, you know, they're for his disciples or for the apostle Paul, you know, when he has to, to, to give witness to, to King Agrippa or, you know, John the Baptist as he sits and, and has, has conversations with, you know, King Herod, you know, before he's, before he's beheaded and he's in front of these authorities. And yet, Jerry, you remember, or Jerry, you remember this, um, you know, Boone is, Boone, Boone is in our, our circuit or was in our circuit, you know, and, and he's vital in setting up Pastor Lore and setting up those, um, those, uh, uh, the seminary over in Vietnam, in Vietnam. And he was at, he was at circuit the, uh, a few years back saying, oh yeah, he goes, from the moment I touched down in Vietnam, he goes, I know I have eyes watching on me. He goes, I know my phones are tapped. He goes, I know people are following me. And he goes, one day he's like, I had a couple of guys come to me and lead me to the, you know, Vietnamese or whatever was, was over there, their, their Capitol building. And he had to stand in front of the president of, of that country. And tell him, tell, explain to that president what he was going to be proclaiming in his country. He had to explain to him the gospel message. And it makes you go to Luke chapter 21, and it gives you goosebumps. And you go, this is what Jesus is talking about. And, and how, how what Pastor Laura had to stand in front of him and, and tell him what? The truth. The truth of God's word. And, and how cool of a thing that is. That's a great example because that was what I was going to ask you guys. Can you think of a time where you have been called or maybe your members have been called to do this kind of witness in front of kings or governors or courts and so forth? Because as you were talking, Aaron, I was thinking back when I was in Kentucky and I had a, a family that they just had a lot of marriage problems and so much so that they ended up going to court to get... Uh, to try and keep their children. And so then they called me in as a character witness and then going back in the judge's room and then being able to give that judge a Christian witness of uh, parenting and marriage from the biblical perspective. I don't know if it had any influence, but you know that was God calling me in front of the courts to give a witness. I yeah, and I don't example. Besides, you know, as for me, me personally, it would be probably I've had once or twice the same. You know, the probably the the highest authority that I've ever stood in front of was somebody at a at a local local judge. You know, giving giving testimony in in some way, shape, or or another as the the pastor of of Faith Lutheran Church. And I don't know, Jer, if you've ever had to do anything like that. Not really. I, I guess I was maybe thinking of how we had a member of our church that was the owner of a, in Kansas at Salina, we had a, a there's, I think he's still there, a member of the church that was the owner of a radio network. And he got uh, me to do a, 
little two minute devotion every day for five days of the week uh, where I got to have kind of a radio devotion for the time that I was in Kansas. Um, and it, it was it was always interesting to see who was listening to that uh, because I would say, you know, sometimes get a call to the church or uh, meet somebody in town and they would say, oh, are you, you know, are you the same one that uh, was, it does those devotions? And so it, it, that had seemed to have kind of a, I, I don't know how high ranking of like government officials they were, but it, it seemed to have a little bit wider spread of, of influence, I guess. So the last question I have for you guys on this text is what Jesus is talking about all of these catastrophic events. I was wondering, how can Christians use these catastrophic events as outreach in our apathetic world? When bad things happen, people are going to look for answers. So that, that you, you are in a position and in a situation to give them those kinds of answers. Um, it it kind of seems like we're wrapping this uh, lesson up. So I just wanted to throw out uh, one thing that might, and it, it sort of ties into evangelism and outreach. Um, if you want to point out uh, something to people, uh, a neat thing, uh, history note is that the, uh, well, it was a while ago, actually, Michael, that you gave me an old German hymnal. And I was showing you in the back part of the hymnal where all of these uh, old Germans, uh, immigrants that produced their worship books and devotional books a long time ago, whenever they would make a hymnal, they would also include a section at the back of the hymnal that was Flavius Josephus's, uh, that's a, a, his, a his history writer from the time, he was around the time of Christ and he wrote about Christ, but he was, he was Jewish, he wasn't Christian, uh, but he has an account of the destruction of Jerusalem and these hymnals, these Lutheran hymnals would include Josephus's account of the destruction of Jerusalem at the back of their hymnals so that then they could like it, it was it was kind of a reinforcement of, look, Jesus predicted that this was going to happen. And now here's a secular historian detailing exactly what happened and exactly how it happened, you know, 70 or 50 or whatever, how many years after Christ walked the earth happened exactly like he predicted it and that that's a powerful testimony aaron you want to build on anything with that well how christians yeah, can can use this uh, all the stuff that you mentioned before about say say hurricane ian and the russian ukrainian war wild wildfires out east tornadoes in in your area and so forth how can we as christians then turn those catastrophic events into a good gospel outreach. Yeah, you know, shortly after after I was assigned down to Pittsburgh, you know, it was it was right after call day um, that I was assigned. You know, you saw all over the news Joplin, Joplin, Missouri, and and if you've ever seen the movie Twister, again, I'm dating myself because I watched that when I was a kid. You know, you you see this massive tornado going through it through there, these storm chasers, and, and it was the 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 huge one the f5 well there was an f5 tornado that went through joplin um and this tornado was more than a mile wide and it stayed on the ground for for an, a, an extremely long time and and you can you can google it i i did it maybe about a year ago or maybe it was in may 
just watched video of it again and it is it is just i guess in a horrific way an amazing thing um how how huge this tornado was and how devastating it was and how it hit the heart of joplin and just took out hundreds hundreds of of lives and um to go in and to have pittsburgh 30 miles away and people having debris land in in their backyards and then to drive to to joplin with with nurses from our, our church and and to have them not even recognize streets that they used to live on or how to get around because of the destruction and to sit there to to people who are are crying weeping lost hurting and to share with them the one thing that we know and we know best of of jesus um it's it's opportunities, um, destruction, sadness, hurt, and hardship. Every single one of them is an opportunity, an opportunity to, to give people hope and peace of, of Jesus and of something better to come. Yeah, and, you know, like I said before, that we harvested chickens yesterday. So to make a parable out of the, the harvesting of the chickens, so that's a nice way of saying we butchered them is we had uh, my neighbor and I, we, we ended up uh, with two dozen chicks and we had 16 left over that uh, we went yesterday afternoon. And, and I jokingly wore camel plant, camouflage pants so the chickens didn't see me coming. But, you know, here they are. We took the food away for a day and uh, one in there made a little noise. They thought it brought food. So they came right up to me so that I could pick them up. They're nice and calm until we took them into the garage and then uh, ended their lives. And now they're in, in the freezer. But I would use that as a parable of that's kind of the way we are in our world. We're very apathetic. We've gotten very lazy, both with physically and spiritually. Uh, we just keep getting fed the same things. Uh, it doesn't really matter which end of the political spectrum we're on on Tuesday. We probably weren't very happy with uh, the results of the election. And it doesn't really matter, in my viewpoint, whether we're red or blue, because we're going the same place right now with politics. Just one party, one color is getting us there a little faster than the other party. Uh, and Jesus is the only, uh, well, that destruction is coming on all of us. Uh, you know, those chicks, we knew that their end was coming eight weeks after they were born. For us, we don't know, but we're fat and lazy. We're happy to go into death's hands. And, you know, I would use that as an illustration too, just like any kind of earthly destruction we've been talking about to kind of God uses it to wake people up. Jesus is using those earthly destructions to wake people up to say, hey, when you see a hurricane, when you see a tornado, when you experience a house burning down, wake up because this is a sign that I'm coming back. All right. There's my, there's my chicken parable for you guys. I enjoy uh, it. I enjoy a good chicken story. <laughs> uh, Jim, you want to get into the epistle lesson? Sure. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes, This is evidence of God's righteous verdict that resulted in your being counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you also suffer. 
Certainly it is right for God to repay trouble to those who trouble you and to give relief to you who are troubled along with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his powerful angels, he will exercise vengeance and flaming fire on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Such people will receive a just penalty, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified among his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Aaron, what two things will God do on judgment day because he's just? No, he's going to, he's going to come back again. He's going to, he's going to judge, judge the unbeliever and he's going to judge, just send the, send the believer to heaven. Um, you know, the, the, the sheep and the goats, you, you hear parables of it all, all the time. And, um, from, from Jesus. And, and that's, that's something that is, I was talking to somebody about that from church, um, just the other day, what a, what a comfort it is to know that Jesus is, is coming again. And when we close our eyes for the last time, we need not, we need not fear for, for, for us, for the believer. Um, he is just, and, and we don't get the punishment we deserve because he took it out on, on Jesus. Yeah, before we get into the next question on that justice, you mentioned, Aaron, the the sheep and, go and the goats. Uh, someone was mentioning to me the other day about the parable of the sheep and goats. She said, well, it should be easy, pretty easy to pick out sheep from goats. And then she was showing me some pictures. And I don't remember the name of the sheep, but Middle Eastern sheep, uh, they look a lot like goats. You know, I raise sheep. And I know the difference between sheep and goats. They're pretty stark. But Middle Eastern sheep, the ones that are out uh, in the desert, on the mountains and so forth, they don't have the kind of wool like we think of. They're very hairy. And they look both in uh, size and the, the hair and the facial expressions as uh, like goats. And so I, I never thought of it that way, of how hard it would be to actually tell a regular sheep from a goat. So there, there's a little more farming things for you guys. So, uh, Jeremy, with the justice that Aaron mentioned, why is God's justice so important for us as Christians to remember? That's a good question. It's because it's so often that people think they, they know about forgiveness. Like they, they know the concept that God is a, for, a forgiving God. And, and even, you know, like Muslims would say God is merciful and compassionate. Um, and uh, I think it's just important to focus like Paul does here on God's justice, because it's so easy just to think that, oh yeah, God, God forgives. He just, he, he sweeps it under the rug or he um, uh, just doesn't, he decides not to um, carry out justice. And, and it, it's so important to remember, no, actually God does have a, a very strong sense of right and wrong and the wonderful amazing thing is he took out that judgment on his son instead of us and and when and then when you don't believe in his son uh you're you're really insulting him twice over and uh bringing even worse judgment on yourself because uh you've you, you're taking on a, a wrath that had already been paid for in christ 
Yeah, with that, it reminded uh, last week a story went viral where the author was talking about COVID amnesty. I don't know if you guys read that article, but the author was talking about, you know, if experts and officials in the government, if, you know, they mess things up with COVID and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, well, they had it all wrong, but we should just forgive them. And I, I don't want to get into COVID part, but just to understand, well, yeah, there is forgiveness, but only for those who are repentant. You can't just keep forgiving people. Uh, as Christians, we forgive in our hearts, but there's a repentance part on the other on the other side. And then, but there's also justice. You know, just like if uh, a plane goes down, well, and they discover, well, you know, the mechanics they weren't doing their jobs. Well, there's there's, you don't just give them amnesty, there's justice that they lose their jobs, the airline, they get fined and so forth. There's justice and as, as well as forgiveness. So, so I guess, how do we as Christians deal with that for you guys when, when it comes to the question of justice and forgiveness? Because I think in our culture, it's an either or, justice or forgiveness or justice versus forgiveness. So, Aaron, how do we as Christians deal with that? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to answer your question the way you you phrased it here. That's why but the verse the verse that that comes out to me in this section that that um, I focus on is is they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Or I'm sorry, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You know, so often as as Christians, we are we're very easy to point the finger and, and to say he's going to punish those who are unbelievers, those who don't do not know God. Um, and we forget about the second part of that verse where, where he goes and do not obey the gospel. Um, how often are we the people who do not obey the gospel? Like Jerry said, how often are we the people who who trample the the Son of God's sacrifice underfoot because um, we know better, we know what we're doing is wrong, and we just simply do not care. And so often, you know, as as a pastor, you'll hear it or you're, you'll counsel somebody who's been a member of your church forever and ever and ever, and and they they they're in the wrong, um, they're they're sin and they're stuck in their sin and they they can't admit it, and they say, I believe in Jesus. I know what he's done for me. And yet, as a pastor, you look at him and you go, right now, you you do not, you do not what? You you do not obey, you're not obeying the gospel. Um, you you you're you're the same right now, maybe as an unbeliever, because you you're rejecting things that God has said. You're not you you're you're stubbornly not living according to to his word. And so so there God is just whether whether you've you're an unbeliever or you're you're somebody who is just simply rejecting him and you you know better um he's just but also his forgiveness is just too he's serious about them both he's so serious like jer said he sent his son for for us to forgive us for those times that's how serious he is okay at the end here jeremy uh paul writes so on that day when he comes to be glorified among the saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed in him. Why does Paul say that Christians are going to marvel at Jesus? 
he's the source of everything good. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you, if you ever marvel at anything in this world, it, it originally came from Jesus. It, it came from God. And uh, so to be able to see the source of everything that is good in life, it, it can't. And, and we've been practicing it, too. That's the other thing. We've been practicing standing in awe of God. That's what, that's what faith is. That's what the fear of God is. It's, it's taking him seriously, taking his word seriously. And when you take something seriously, you marvel at it. And uh, when you've been practicing your whole life, a life of worship, a life of marveling, then uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna also do it in the next life. Which I mean, how how awful would it be to be bored for eternity? Like, <laughs> I'd I'm, I'd much rather be marveling at something for eternity. That that sounds a lot like a lot more fun. Yeah, when you were talking about that, I was thinking of I saw a picture of Shelley and myself. And uh, we were standing in front of a cruise ship in Greece, and it was about 12 years ago. And, you know, we took a lot of pictures when we went to Greece uh, and on that trip of Paul's missionary journeys. But we also, but the, the pictures, we don't marvel at the pictures that we have on our walls or on our computers or on our phones. We marvel at the real thing. You know, being there in Greece, seeing uh, this, seeing Ethi uh, Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth, these places where Paul ministered to and so forth. You know, we marvel at these places, just like you guys mentioned, going to Jerusalem. You had the same tour guide, Isaac, that I had when I was there. Uh, but marveling at these places, and that's what the image I have of we have Jesus now, but we have him darkly. We have him in a shadow. We see him in word and sacrament, but there we're going to see him face to face. That was last week's uh, epistle lesson from Revelation 21. And that's what allows us to marvel at him. Anything else you guys want to bring up in this second lesson? Nope. Let's wrap it up. I'm good. All right. I think we've covered it completely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we this turn is, this episode into a seminary course on Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is Michael Zarling with Aaron Schumann and a ray of lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>